0: Well, good morning, my name is Shayler. I am the youth pastor here and um, I'll be your speaker today. <laughs> so um, last time I spoke, I think it was in December and uh, I was struggling with what I would talk about back then. And of course um, it was the holidays, So I, I gave kind of a, a Christmas message, but one of the other things that I was thinking about back then that has still stuck with me to today, was to talk about unity. And um, I don't, I, I kind of feel like I didn't really want to talk about this, and, but it just, kept, it just would not get out of my mind. It was staying with me, so uh, maybe like a week ago, week and a half ago, I call up my dad and I said, uh, hey, what would you like me to talk about? And he said, well, that's for you to decide. Welcome to my life. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so we're on the phone, and I think he was taking a drink, and I said, well, you know, I know we've talked about unity a lot lately, but do you think that that's been beat into the ground and that we've talked about it enough, and you can literally hear him spew out his drink over the phone? He's like, no! <laughs> and... Um, and then after that, I went and had lunch with another pastor friend of mine, and I, sa- and I said, hey, in uh, two weeks, I'll be speaking at my church. And he said, what are you gonna talk about? And I said, I, I think I wanna talk about unity. And you know, his eyes just kinda light up, and he's like, oh man. You no, know, he's a pastor of another church. He's like, the church of Jesus just needs that right now. And I, I agree with that. So what I wanna do today is go through Psalm 133, uh, share a few things as we go through each verse, drop a few ideas on you, and uh, then we'll be done. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you that we're in the house of the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord where your presence is. So I pray that you would give me strength, And that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. All right. You know, it's funny when I read this passage of scripture, um, I grew, as you guys know, I grew up in church here and Marty was my children's pastor. And there are certain times as, that when you read through the Bible and you're literally reading it to yourself, it, the words, the voice in your head reading it is Marty's voice. <laughs> <laughs> and when I read through Psalm 133, it is Marty's voice and she's saying it kind of loudly, almost as if she's yelling it at me. And that's one of the first things I think about when I read Psalm 133. But verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So I had this thought. I said, if it is so good and pleasant, why don't we see more of it? And why is it so difficult right now for the church of Jesus to walk in real loving unity? Well, as you guys know, the enemy is out to destroy unity And I just wanna give you two quick examples of what I see that we as Christians, believers in Jesus, are up against that's attacking our unity. First example, there's this guy named Ladislav Bittman. His name is Ladislav Bittman. Ladislav was a part of the KGB in the 50s and the 60s. And in 1968, he defected to Czechoslovakia, or excuse me, he defected from Czechoslovakia and the KGB to the U.S. When he showed up here, he began to explain that there had been a shift in strategy in the intelligence agencies in the USSR. Historically, those intelligence agencies had defined their role as that of gathering information. And when he showed up, He explained that in the ideological tug-of-war between the Democratic West, that they figured that their role was not just the gathering of information, but they had a better shot of sowing disinformation into the Western part of the world. He wrote a book. It's called The Deception Game. So if you're into, like, real-world spy-type novels, you might find it kind of fascinating. But I want to read to you a quote from this book because... As I read this quote, I thought this is straight out of the playbook of Satan himself, because this is what he does to us. It says the trick was to mix accurate details with forged ones, because for disinformation to be successful, it must at least partially correspond to reality or generally accepted views. The hope was to sow division, stir up distrust, and to make people anxious and angry. The hope was to sow division, stir up distrust, and to make people anxious and angry. Sorry, I've been thinking about this message a lot. I'm not really an emotional guy. I have no idea why I'm emotional this morning. Some of you that know me well are getting a kick out of this. Leave me alone. I know, like, when you read that and you're like, oh, KGB guy, like, obviously, he's really in tune with what's been going on the last couple years. That was written in 1960. 1960. Think about that. The sowing of disinformation for the sole purpose of helping people distrust, grow in anxiety, and become angry. And if that was something that a real-world geopolitical strategy that was taking place was happening, I think that that is happening spiritually. Let me give you uh, another example. Um, I love that there's a point where C.S. Lewis calls the Church of Jesus, a mighty army with banners, terrifying to the deeds of darkness. So what I see is that one of Satan's objectives is to sow disunity into the church of Jesus Christ. And if he can get us to keep on fighting one another, biting one another, and devouring one another, then he'll accomplish his goal. What is happening to me? I Don't cry. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. So... Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's one of my favorite books. If you haven't read it, I would highly suggest it. It is a story of an older demon mentoring a younger demon. It's a fictional book, but I think once you go through it, you'll find that it's truer than you really want to believe. And if you have any type of introspection whatsoever, you're going to sit there and read it and go, huh, got me on that one. Almost on every page. So the younger, demon, the younger demon lets his assignment become a Christian, so he's punished for that, and the older demon teaches him that all is not lost, and the older demon begins to school the younger demon on how to take from the new believer his joy in Jesus, the purpose of his calling, and the mission of God on his life. This is out of the Screwtape Letters. One of our great allies at present is the church itself, do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, is quite invisible to these humans. All your patience sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy with neither of them understands and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. If you didn't know it, C.S. Lewis did not like the church music of his day. He thought it was bad music with bad singers with bad lyrics. Clearly, he's never been to Bethesda. When, when he gets to his pew and looks round him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side, that's God's side, no matter, your patient, thanks to our Father below, is a fool, provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that the religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous." At this, present state, at this present stage, you see he has an idea of Christians in his mind, in which he supposes to be spiritual, but which in fact are largely pictorial. Work hard then on the disappointment of the anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. What are we up against that's preventing us from unity? We are up against powers and principalities trying to destroy the church. So. I suggest to you and to me that when we walk through this life and we feel ourselves getting stirred up with distrust and anxiety and fear and anger, that is an alarm going off in our soul saying, wake up, it is not about that issue, your eyes have drifted off of Jesus. It is time to realign and put your eyes Oh, Jesus, gosh, I'm not going to cry. Ah! All right, that's what we're up against. Verse 2, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. So David wrote the psalm, it's a psalm of ascent. I read some studies on this, and probably he is watching the people of God as one family unite and go into the temple and worship the Lord. And that would have been a really big deal to him, because as the family of God, David would have known that the family of God hasn't always gotten along. (laughs) If you go throughout Christian history and go throughout the Bible before David came, you would see that there was a lot of fighting, brothers fighting against brothers, and for him to see the body of Christ united and in going into a place of worship would have stirred something up great in him. So it's the song of ascent. He's excited to see the people of the Lord worship. One of the questions that I had and, <laughs> was, why did he put these two pictures together? A picture of Aaron being anointed with oil and the dew from Mount Hermon. Why would he have blended those two together and I sat there, I thought about it, I tried to study it. One of the commentaries actually said he put those two pictures together simply because as those people were ascending to the temple, it was hot and they were dripping with sweat. But even though that they were sweating, there was a joy that was exuding out of them because they were going into the presence of the Lord. So maybe that's what spurred on those thoughts. So let me briefly talk about the oil on Aaron's head. Of course, David never saw Aaron anointed, but he would have seen many of his successors anointed. It was a great ceremony. The new high priest was clothed with magnificent robes, with a special breastplate with jewelry and with a headdress. And there's a very very special part in the consecration where he was anointed with oil and he was covered in that. And the book of Exodus calls this a precious oil. And it flowed down his beard, got onto his clothes, So I found that they used to take five quarts of olive oil and they would add no less than 450 ounces of solids, like spices like myrrh, cinnamon, and sweet cane. They would mix it all together and they would do this so that it would give off a sweet aroma as he went into the presence of the Lord. So I thought about that and I thought, wow, even God enjoys a nice smell. They were so concerned about how he would come off to the Lord that they made him smell nice. And I, and I sat there and I thought, the Bible does talk about um, God smelling. And I thought, what, what stinks to God? <laughs> well, sin stinks to God, that definitely does. And so they would anoint Aaron and cleanse him and put him into the, send him into the temple covered in oil so that he would give off a sweet aroma and it would be pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you want to come back to that in just a minute. Verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. One time, I've only done this once, I was camping with some buddies and we slept like outside all night, not in a tent, but literally just outside. And that, that, when we slept outside, we woke up that morning and we were kind of covered in dew. And so I have to think that David looked back to his, his days as a shepherd boy when in the morning he would have woken up and his clothes would have been soaked. And see, I think you and I don't know the value of dew because we have water sprinklers but if you would have lived in Israel back then, it would have been a completely different story because from about the 15th of April to the 15th of October, there was no rain. And the only, source, the only source of moisture on some of those hills was a heavy dew. So what David knew is that dew could mean life or death. That dew, the green grass was dependent upon that dew every day for it to, for it to be food for his sheep. And as he looked down on that crowd going up to the temple, and he saw their unity, he saw that it was like the dew that had been provided, and it was life-giving. David knew that dew could make a barren, hard, dry ground, green, soft, fruitful, and fertile. What a picture of unity right there. Could make a barren, hard, dry ground green, soft, fruitful, and fertile. You know, as a youth pastor, um, there's sometimes I get involved in situations where, um, you know, there's tension in families between parents and kids or whatever. And sometimes, it, you know, Sometimes it's just a simple misunderstanding and it's just the part the process of parents raising teenagers, um, which you guys had it easy, but <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it can get difficult. And as I have walked through walked through some situations with, with some families. There's many times that like I, I, will, I look at a situation and, and, and it can seem hopeless. And when I find myself in those situations and I'm, you know, I'm just a simple youth pastor, I, there's times I don't really know what to pray. I don't know how to, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a fixer. I wanna, I wanna get in and I wanna fix things. And um, sometimes you get in situations where you can't do that and only the Lord can do that. But when i find myself in those situations what i've found is that my prayer is that students and parents that they would soften their hearts toward the lord that they would soften their hearts toward each other because that's like that life-giving due and that's the hope that's going to restore those relationships and bring unity to their family so i don't know where you're at I know last week was my dad, was last week Father's Day? Okay, just making sure, I was here. I know he gave a Father's Day message and was appealing to many parents who maybe have wayward sons or daughters. And I would encourage you to pray for their their heart to soften toward the Lord. Here we go again, no way. Nope, all right. That's what the dude did. All right. And then he talks about, it bestows his blessing. In the other translations, it says he commands his blessing to fall. Now, I'm not the blessing guy. I, um, usually when I, I hear blessing in church, I think they're about to take up an offering. And so I... Usually run away from that, that's not really what I like. but in fact, that reminds me of a real quick story about my dad. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, but <laughs> one of the crazy things, if, if you ever have the chance to sit next to my parents in church, is they're church commentators. So like when you watch you know, a sports game and uh, a guy commentates the sports game, like as you're watching it, they commentate church quietly between themselves as you sit next to them. Now luckily at Bethesda, it's all positive stuff, and they say really nice things about Brent's songs and Janice. But one time, we were at a church somewhere else, and... This was quite a while ago. I don't even remember, I remember this event specifically, I don't remember the name of the church or where we were at, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> but they were where they were singing a song, and they were singing this song, like, I don't know the name of it, but it says, I can feel the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to get my blessing right now. And then they sing that and then they repeat it like a hundred times and then they modulate it up and it's a real hype song to try to get the crowd all going. And as they're singing it, my dad's standing there looking at them like they're a bunch of weirdos. (laughs) And he starts commentating and he goes, get my blessing right now. How about I'm gonna be a blessing? What is this, first selfish church? (laughs) So, if you wonder why I'm not the blessing guy, if you wonder why I'm not the blessing guy, I got my theology on that from my parents. <laughs> but here, the Lord bestows his blessing. So I have to talk about it. So I've got a friend that's been a pastor. He, he pastored uh, a couple of decades. And there was this guy in his church that he couldn't stand. Luckily, you don't have anybody like that in your church. But there's this guy in his church that, that he really struggled with. He didn't, he didn't like this guy. This guy didn't like him. And he sat there, and he wondered, why does this guy even come to our church? All he does is criticize my sermon every week. He goes out and has roast preacher for lunch, and then he tells me about it, blah, 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 blah. So they didn't get along. About halfway through this guy, my my buddy's pastorate, this guy calls him up, and he's like, pastor. And buddy answers. He's like, hello? Hey, this is so-and-so, you know, from the church. And my buddy's like, oh, hey. And he goes, hi, um, I want you to know that I've been diagnosed with cancer. And I don't remember what kind it was, but he said to my buddy, he goes, and they don't like each other. He goes, but the Bible says that the elders of the church are to come forward anoint me with oil, lay hands on me, and pray for me. So I'm going to ask you to do that. And my buddy goes, hmm, the Bible does say that, doesn't it? <laughs> so he goes over to this guy's house, and and he'll be honest with you, and he tell you, I went over there, I didn't want to go over there. I mean, he's like, I didn't want the guy to pass away from cancer, but I didn't really want to go over to his house and pray for him, but I did it because I wanted to be... Obedient to the Lord and obedient to his word. So we prayed for him and didn't think anything was going to happen. And he left. And a couple days later, the guy calls him back up. And he's like, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm cancer free. What? And what's crazy was that when my buddy went to that house and prayed for that man, not only was that man healed of cancer but a relationship was healed because for the second half of my friend's pastorate, they became best friends and they were confidants. And so my my friend says, he goes, sometimes, this is a quote from him, sometimes you need to get over yourself for the sake of unity. Sometimes you need to get over yourself for the sake of unity. Because when that happens, there he commands his blessing to fall. So I have a couple last things that I would like to say. Um, I wanna kinda go back to the oil. I was sitting there, I was thinking about that um, over the last few days and I thought you know that oil was such a precious thing and it was such a big deal to them and that was what Aaron put on him so that he could go into the so that he could go into the presence of the Lord and be a sweet pleasing aroma to him. So I thought what would if we were to make anointing oil for us today that was a sweet savory presence to the Lord what would those ingredients be that we put in it and I came up with a list and this is all out of the New Testament I'm not gonna for sake of time give you the references but this is a list of 24 things that I believe would be the ingredients of unity here they are number one love one another number two be kindly affectionate toward one another. Number three, in honor, prefer one another. Number four, have oneness of mind. Number five, edify each other. Number six, receive each other. Number seven, admonish one another. Number eight, welcome one another. Number nine, care for one another. Number 10, serve one another. Number 11, bear one another's burdens. Number 12, be forbearing toward each other. Number 13, be kind to each other. Number 14, submit to, one, submit to each other. Number 15, esteem others better than yourself. Number 16, forgive one another. Number 17, abound in love to each other. Number 18, comfort one another. Number 19, consider one another. Number 20, confess your faults to one another. Number 21, pray for each other. Number 22, be hospitable to each other. Number 23, refrain from judging each other. Number 24, restore one another when fallen. To me, that is what unity looks like in the Church of Jesus Christ in 2022. Came up with that list a few days ago i called my dad i said i think this is how i want to end it and i told him this is i got this list and i went through it and he goes huh what's your point <laughs> i said okay here's my point jesus's last prayer In John 17, before he went to his death on the cross, as he said, Father, that they might be one just as you and I are one. And if that's one of the very last things that he said, I think it's really important. I think it's something that we should pay attention to. I think it's something worth fighting for. The second thing is if he prayed it, And as he's looking down the channels of time, it wasn't just for that moment. That was a prayer for you and I today. If he prayed that for us, it's because it's attainable. He would not have prayed it to set us up to fail. It is an attainable thing. So Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray that we would grow to become one, just as you and the Father are one. Lord, when we find ourselves being stirred up by anxiety and fear and anger and all of those things, let that be an alarm clock going off in our soul to say, please, realign and fix your eyes on Jesus. It's in your beautiful name I pray it. Amen.